0: Welcome, TTB community. I am Bob DeMena, and here with me, as always, is the very lucid Elliot Shibley.
1: I am always lucid. I'm always on top of my game. I know everything, and I can hear everything. Jesus, I take it back. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for being nice tonight.
0: Yeah. (laughs)
1: So we've been recently partnering with Minivan of Memories. We've been doing a lot of work with him. As Bob mentioned in a previous episode, we have been getting passengers from him that have been sharing their stories on our platform. And we've actually been giving some of our guests interviewees uh, over to and sharing their stories on his platform. And it's a really interesting thing platform. They provide short blurbs, all kinds of good stuff. And you can learn a lot about different trips and maybe get some inspiration for your next trip. Little Passports is pretty awesome. Uh, I think we've talked about that quite a bit and still very excited. Amanda and I are, whenever we have kids, they will be receiving one. And I I assume Gia is going to be receiving one in the near future.
0: Yeah, I think they started three years old. So we have a little bit of time, but... Um, I, I follow them and I follow them on Instagram and they kind of take you through some of the kits that they have and they're so awesome. I can't wait. That's yeah. I'm really looking forward to that.
1: Yeah. And we have a link to their website on our, uh, auto, our affiliates page, affiliates and partners page on our website. Yeah. So please check that out.
0: So yeah. what do right. we have
1: going on today, Bob?
0: So today's guest, we actually met through minivan of memories. Shout out to Aldison for hooking us up. Uh, he is an Aussie a self-described tattooed traveler and teller of tales that once found a small squirrel inside a garbage bin in Washington DC uh he is a cancer survivor he spent 244 days in the hospital uh we were excited to hear his his story his adventures his mishaps he had a ton of them uh this was a really fun awesome conversation. Uh, So without further introduction, please give a very warm welcome to Alex Porter.
1: Welcome to The Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on our podcast, The Traveler's Blueprint. So, we actually found you through Adelson, a minivan of memories, and we were reading a story on your trip in Panama to the San Blas Islands, and kind of how you got lost out there, and then we started to look into you more, and we're really intrigued by your story from being diagnosed with cancer, and then deciding that life is too short, and you wanted to do more with it, and see more of the world. So... Why don't we just get right into that and talk about your diagnosis and how that really perpetuated the rest of your current life?
2: It really did. I actually wasn't a huge travel fan before my sort of life changed. I was very insulated. I was doing my own thing in Sydney's proud Western suburbs. Uh, My brother had traveled a lot. He went off to India and he would send back all sorts of trinkets that smelled like cigarettes. Uh, and, And traveling really didn't jump out to me and then um, yeah I mean everything changed with, with that diagnosis I was I was studying at uni at the time I was doing a history degree which for anyone out there is useless So come up with something better and I was doing my history degree it's adds nothing to your life but I enjoyed it I did enjoy it and I was uh, halfway through and I just started feeling I was just not feeling myself you know when you're just feeling run down you're feeling tired and I figured, well, I'm only I'm 19. I'm, I'm invincible. I'm literally invincible. there's, there's not going to be any dramas. So I just kept powering on and, and just doing the best I could. And my health just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And no one around me thought it would be anything serious. Um, so I got to the point that I just went for a, a blood test and an ECG just to just to hear someone tell me that I was fine. And they told me I had leukemia.
1: Wow. Yeah. And you were you were nineteen when they told you that, right?
2: I had just turned twenty, so it was two thousand and eight, uh, and I had just turned twenty years old.
1: How did that? How did that feel? What was that moment like?
2: I remember that moment as clear as yesterday, and no matter how many yesterdays I put between now and then, I, I always will. I remember my dad. He put me in the family van, this big white panel van that drove us all around because uh, I have four brothers, so it was quite a lot of us, and he drove me down to the the local hospital. Uh, near, near my house and he told me I was just going overnight it speaks to how sort of young and naive I was I just went yeah fair enough like I'm going overnight like why wouldn't I just be coming back the next day they so told me to pack an overnight bag uh, and he drove me down and my parents sat in silence the whole ride my mum piled out at the hospital door and my dad drove two or three blocks away and he parked the car in this sort of leafy suburb no one around just a beautiful beautiful Australian summer's day because it was in December uh, and he, he jumped out the his side door and I remember he lent his hands on the window and looked at me in a way I've never seen him look at me before because he's always been this bastion of strength. And he just said, uh, Alex, the, the doctors say you've got leukemia. And I just, my world fell apart. It's absolutely crumbled.
0: It's hard to, to understand your situation. Um, yeah. And so, and so at that point, did you sort of start to piece together what your future held
2: to be honest, I I kind of went into my shell. So I just went into protection mode. I, I closed off to everything around me. And it was only when I had – so to, to give you a little bit of background on the, the leukemia, um, I had AML, which stands for acute myeloid leukemia, which is a fairly aggressive type. And the the doctors told me that the chemo that we want would give you normally is likely to give you heart problems down the line. It has worked in the past. It, it might work for you, but – you're looking at heart problems down the line uh, if you survive. Alternatively, we can put you on this uh, sort of world-first trial that will not give you heart problems, for sure of that, but it might not work at all. Um, so you have to decide whether you want to risk not getting rid of the cancer or avoiding heart attacks down the line. Um, they gave me 24 hours to think about it, and uh, I sort of thought about it overnight, a very, very sleepless, restless night, and I accepted the trial and went on the trial the next day, which was... Normally, chemo is about three months for, for what I had, but mine was seven months. So I had seven rounds of chemo instead of three on this trial. And the first month of the trial did not work. So the results were coming back horrendously terrible. Uh, there was grim times. I remember it, at one point in the sort of darkest days, I, I picked out a song for my funeral. It, it was extremely, like, extremely, wow. extremely grim mentally upstairs. And it wasn't even a good song. It was a bloke who, like, was on American Idol, like, so glad I didn't die. It was a terrible song. <laughs> <laughs> really terrible. But uh, the, the first month of chemo didn't work. And I, I remember having this, I describe it as a, a spiritual experience where I, I think maybe in some way I saw God. And after that experience, uh, the chemo was in remission 10 years since. It was insane.
0: Wow. Wow, man. That, that's incredible. And so your health just turned around at that point? and but you were you were in in the hospital for a total of how long was it 200 and...
2: 244 days in total like
0: yeah 2 200...
2: wow
0: and and this is so it was this period once you were progressing that um you were in you were in the hospital and and where your your aspirations to travel started to develop well one i want to hear about the very first moment if you can remember that that you realized you know that you wanted to see the world yeah the seed
2: yeah, the, the seed itself was, I had a photo of the the heads on Easter Island, the Moai, uh, off the coast of Chile. I'm, I'm sure you guys are aware of Easter Island. I had this photo, it was the background to, I think it was my laptop at the time, and having a history degree, or at least earning a history degree at the time, I just always wanted to go there. I thought that is the type of place where magic happens. It was so far removed from this sort of lonely little hospital bed I was stuck in, like a little jail cell, that that was the seed. I would look at that picture and say, One day, it's not going to be today. It's not going to be tomorrow. I promise one day, or my eyes closed for the last time, I'm going to stand on that island. And uh, looking back, that was certainly the seed of of where my love for travel came from.
0: Wow.
1: Where was your first trip once you... Actually, what was the first thing you did when you got out out of the hospital?
2: um, When I got out of hospital, it's funny, because I was in there so long, it becomes a home to you. All the nurses are like your family. You know all the patients. Like My health was doing better, so it was just... My new home, and it got to day two forty four, and my doctor said, "Oh, it's time to go home." And I was like, "No, no, like I'm so close to day two fifty. I don't want to go. Like that's an important milestone." He was like, "No, like you're you're cured, mate. Like we don't need you here anymore. It's time to go." <laughs> so it was very confusing there, but very bittersweet. Yeah, extremely bittersweet. I missed a milestone, <laughs> but once I got home, I was a bit of a a bit of a mess for probably six months or so. I was really struggling to fit myself together, and my best mate, he actually. He had a trip to New Zealand, which is just across the ditch for us. It's Borderline belongs to Australia. And he was like, oh, you've got you to come to New Zealand with me. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm just kind of doing nothing at home, feeling sorry for myself. Why not? And When I got to New Zealand, zero culture shock, exactly the same, same people, borderline currency the same. I realized like, wow, this is what I need to keep doing. I need to keep just seeing every country in the world. It was the first time I felt alive after dying in a hospital bed for 244 days
1: well let me ask when you were in the hospital bed did you see did you know that you were gonna have a life after the hospital like at what point did it turn around and say all right I realize I'm not gonna die in the near future and I actually have a life after this it
2: probably took two or three months the, the first month was just being in shock I was just a little sort of robot powering through my, my tests and my surgeries and whatnot and then after my quasi-spiritual religious experience. I had an extremely um, terrible health experience where I got a, a terrible infection in my leg that was the worst pain of my entire life. Like when people give you that, give me a pain out of 10, this was a solid and a searing 10 in my leg. The doctor thought I'd, I'd broken my leg in his sleep, which he says is, is not medically possible, but all your symptoms seem to say like you your femur. And it turns out I had a, a infection sort of eating my muscles that later put me into septic shock.
1: Oh God.
2: So I woke up in the middle of the night. It was, and this was just on the tipping point of it's either going to be a train wreck or it's going to work out. And I woke up in the middle of the night and my, my father um, he was staying with me, stayed with me most nights. And I just had enough sort of awareness, not knowing how I knew, but to tell him like, I need help and I need it right now. And then I passed out and went into septic shock and he hit uh, the alarm on the, on the wall of the hospital and, doctors and nurses came pouring in and they did the classic adrenaline needle into your eye to sort of bring you back and get you going again. And it was after I, I came back um, and that I survived that, the chemo was working. It felt like I'd seen a higher power. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be all right. And I'm going to I'm gonna make something of this second go.
0: Yeah. And you are, you, you're doing just that. Your, your Instagram is incredible. Your stories are incredible. We're going to get into some of them in a little bit, but um, I, I, so, so I want to, I guess, fast forward a little bit and get into your, I guess, not necessarily your planning, but the realization where you, you were going to Easter Island, right? Um, so this was a big deal. This is probably a huge turning point in your life. Um, when did you go to Easter Island? How long after, I guess, you were out of the hospital? So what was that gap?
2: That gap, I got out of hospital mid-2009, and I didn't set foot on Easter Island until Early 2016, so it was a, a solid seven years of, of sort of planning and, and connecting all the dots. Um, so it took a little while, but I, I made it eventually.
0: Yeah, and and so how, how how did that feel to to get there? I've traveled a decent amount, and every time I step foot in a new country, I can feel it. I I sort of get that tingly feeling, that sensation of being somewhere new. It's an adrenaline rush for me, and I have never sought a country quite like you have. And so, um, in, in in, I'm just I, I'm really curious to just understand that feeling for you.
2: Yeah, Easter Island's is an interesting one because I I'd, I'd planned it so much and I'd, I I had expected so much of it and I knew I was asking so much of it and the I'd been in Chile previously for two or three weeks, just sort of having a look at Chile, um, and I got the flight across and it's kind of like the stereotype of Hawaii at the airport. Cause you stay in these guest houses your guest host is meant to meet you and give you the lay, like flowers around your neck and then take you back to your little um you know wherever you're staying and everyone was meeting their hosts and i was like this is amazing this is exactly what i wanted and the crowd was thinning and thinning and people were leaving and i was like oh mine must be standing at the back and eventually after maybe 15 minutes Everyone was gone and I was just alone at the airport and my host had forgotten to come pick me
1: up. Oh, <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> oh,
2: Easter Island, what are you doing to me? But uh, she was very sympathetic about it and um, she let me stay an extra night for, for like half price or something at a little guest hostel. But actually being there was, it's extremely difficult to put it into words and it's something I've, I've tried to do in the years since. It was, wow, it, it was it was something else. i I, I openly wept tears not sure they were tears of joy that after so long wanting to go there they could have been tears of sadness but it was i was so emotional seeing it that it completely lived up to and then more all the expectations it's the most pure travel experience i've had and i won't hold any others to that standard because i know they'll never reach it it was if i get struck by lightning today i'll always have had that experience
0: yeah and it's an awesome destination too just in and of itself normally for anybody to go to i don't think enough people go there. And part of me is happy because it kind of keeps the pristineness of that island. But it's a super unique new location for anybody listening that isn't familiar with Easter Island. It's this small island off of the coast of Chile, and it has those stones. um, They're giant, massive stones of faces. I don't know the real history of the island. I do think I'm familiar with the history in regards to their demise. I believe they Basically, their population grew too big. They used up all their resources, and then ended up virtually dying because of it. Is that is that correct?
2: A lot of people have said over the years that it's sort of a microcosm for humanity in general. That we're not careful, we'll do the same thing. But as far as I understand that, that's actually changed over the last sort of five ten years. Someone happy to be corrected if I'm wrong, but that that was a very Western centric view of history. And actually, they were extremely self sufficient, and it was only when Western people came and influenced the sort of science experiment they were the variable and destroyed everything but as far as self-sustainability
1: apparently they were all right wow so maybe they were a model yeah wow western civilization is still going to be the demise
0: wow i'm really happy you told me that because i all this time just thought it was the complete opposite but i mean it makes sense we western civilization occupied the entire americas and then virtually ended up killing off a large majority of the population because of the diseases they carried it happened throughout the United States with the Native Americans throughout Peru as we learned recently but it yeah wow man that's thank you for telling me that and yeah, no ours so was this the jumping off point for who you sort of have become now your your instagram tag is inked and abroad which i think is awesome it's a cool cool tagline are you well i guess you know how does how are you how have you combined the tattoos with the countries that you're traveling to or how did you come up with that name? I
2: like to, I, I wish I'd got more tattoos overseas. I, I got one on, on Easter Island, which was really memorable. It's one of my favorite tattoos. Uh, and I've got tattoos in, in New York before. But I guess they were just two things that I really loved. Once I got out of hospital and when you're in your sort of late teens, early 20s, a lot of people try and be who they think they should be, not who they want to be. And once I've got through my health scares and realized this is legitimately a second chance of life, I'm just going to do the things I like. And I like getting tattoos and I like traveling. So Inked and Abroad was kind of a natural fit when I when I realized those were my two passions.
0: I think it suits you well. Thank you. Yeah.
1: It's, a, it's powerful insight to be able to understand that at such a young age because many people, that is what a midlife crisis is, is that they've spent 40 years of their life being someone who they think they should be and then realize, wait, I have the choice to be someone
0: I want to be. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, you see it happen too often the other way around. But I think, I mean, travel plays a big part in that. I, I don't think there's anything more humbling than going to other countries and seeing how other people operate and understanding sort of your place in the world. And it really helps you understand where you are because it, when people never leave their home country, they sort of they get this idea that that the world revolves around their country, that their country is the most important. When really, there are people occupying every corner of this planet who aren't thinking of your, your country, your home country. And they're, they're doing just fine. So, um, well,
2: I mean, keep it. Get- Is that, do you guys think that, cause that's a bit of fairly like American, a lot of people say like Americans don't get out enough, like a huge amount of Americans don't have passports. Do you, you guys personally feel like you're sort of pushing back against that stereotype? Yes. Yeah. I, do.
1: I don't, I don't, I don't think either Bob or myself, Bob, I hope I'm speaking for both of us when I say that we, we, are Americans by default, but we do not necessarily follow many of the American ideals.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I don't, um, I don't really like the idea of. Obviously, I'm an American, and and but I don't like the idea of uh, associating myself because with a piece of land, because that's all it is. And it's not like I'm an American because I chose to be. I just happen to be born on this piece of land with the borders that constitute it as the United States. Um. But really, I, I enjoy the entire planet, every part of it. I, I'm interested in every single country in its own unique way. Um, I wish more Americans traveled because I think it would influence us to be, um, for back, lack of a better term, better. But, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I there is, for some reason, um, Americans are not huge travelers, and I know it's the complete opposite for Australia. And I'm always curious about that, whether that's because you live on an island and you kind of don't have a choice. You, If you want to see anywhere, you kind of have to leave your own country. Whereas the United States, we can travel to different states and it's almost sometimes like traveling to a new country. I've said this before, if you're in New York city and then you go to Texas, you might as well have gone to a different country. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I'm kind of, I kind of lost my traction there. But
1: <laughs> no, I I I would agree with you. I don't know how Alex. How do you feel? Do you feel do you travel much inside of Australia? I mean, you said that New Zealand is basically an annexation of Australia, and it felt like it was. The <laughs> I same find that thing. hilarious. because yeah.
0: though... so many people. I I, I love the term um, Canada is just America's hat. And <laughs> if there are any Canadians listening to this, I apologize. I don't really think <laughs> it's that it's a catchy term. It's, just, it's very funny. They're too
2: nice to get offended by that anyway. That's true, yeah. But yeah, for Australians, um, I've actually seen almost none of Australia. And I don't have a massive interest, which I almost feel guilty about. It just doesn't really concern me. Like, I'm sure there's great stuff out there, but there's so much in the world that Australia's way down the list. I'll get to you eventually, but you're not not in the top 10, unfortunately.
1: (laughs) So that was the same reaction we got from both Ryan and Leah, is that, I mean, Leah who was, I think, our sixth episode. Yeah. She has traveled all over the world, much like yourself. And she has spent almost no time in Australia except for in and around Sydney. And she doesn't have much of an interest in exploring Australia.
0: I found that interesting. I actually just tagged her in a picture yesterday or today and said, have you been here? And it was a picture of um, that pink lake on the western side of Australia. That looks amazing. And she's like, nope, not yet. <laughs> but
2: No, you can get to New Zealand before you can get to Perth on the, the west coast of Australia. To so many closer places. So far away.
1: Right. Australia is, what, a little bit smaller than continental US? So it'd be basically like flying from... Yeah, it's basically like flying from Atlanta to Sacramento.
2: Yeah, it's crazy. You can fit like all Europe in there.
1: I, I still really think... We've kind of talked around this subject, but travel is one of those items that many people that have a, for lack of better term, spiritual awakening, travel always seems to be the thing that people go to and are drawn towards. And I think there's a lot to be said about that, because travel isn't just go take pictures and return to your home country and look at those pictures. I think travel is more about being and experiencing broadening your horizon, feeling uncomfortable in places you've never been. And it's, as Bob, you just said earlier, it's humbling. You learn a lot about the world and you learn, in most cases, a lot about yourself, who you are and who you want to be.
0: Yeah. Going into that, let's continue to talk about your stories. That's why you're here. And I know, you know, from talking to you through emails and a little bit before we started recording, you have some pretty... Pretty good ones. I think we should start with the one that sort of uh, got our attention when you were lost at sea.
2: Yes. So this was in uh, 2016. I was in New York at the time and my brother was getting married. And I thought it'd be a good idea to fly back and surprise him for the wedding. So I, I flew all the way back to Australia. So if he ever gets divorced, he owes me like $4,000, <laughs> but <he> flew, <laughs> uh, I'm taking that back. And then when I came back to me- Hey, my- it's recorded on here. Yeah, that's that's a- Official now, he has to do it. <laughs> and I went. Uh, I was traveling with my best mates at the time, and I flew back to meet them in Panama. And because I'd been out of the loop, one of my mates was like, "Oh, we're we're going to be doing a four day, four night boat trip off the coast of Panama." And I am open about this. I hate boats and I hate deep water. It's one of my greatest fears. I don't want to be around it. Give me like one of those. I'll be on. No, not the Titanic. It's a bad example, obviously. But me on a big ship. <laughs> put me in a really big ship that's like a building and i'm sweet but anything right close to the water and I'm, I'm out but i thought you know what as you said it travels about um expanding your horizons so i said let's do it and the area itself was was stunning so it's these 378 islands off the coast of panama so spread over 100 square miles highly recommend anyone check it out it's just the the crown jewel in central america um and the the local people the kuna live there so they're, they're um an autonomous territory that belongs to Panama and they, they just, they run they run themselves, they run the islands. It's very, um, they sort of live off the land. They, they don't take more than they need. It's a stunning place. So the, the goal is to island hop and, you know, invest money in their sort of little micro economies and appreciate it and take the stories back, back with you when you get home, which was the plan. But on the first day, we piled into this tiny boat. We were on a tour with, uh, there was 13 of us in the boat. It was called the Nina Christie. I'll never forget the name of the boat was this tiny little like tinny it was i don't know how it was going to get from island to island but the the captain manuel seemed confident so we set off from first island we probably had like maybe an hour or two on open water which is beyond terrifying so we're we're hammering along going over the waves we had a giant bottle of rum with us everyone's singing having a good time and this monster wave comes over the boat and the engine just turns off dead quiet from roaring to nothing and land is beyond far away. You, you can see it. There's no way you could swim to it. It's, it's nothing. It's just there to tease you. And the captain, he's sort of, he's looking around. We're all sitting there shuffling uncomfortably. And after maybe five minutes, he, he goes, oh, someone give me the rum. And I was like, this guy is MacGyver. He's a visionary. He's going to pour the rum in the, in the, in the motor. He's going to get the boat going. And he put the rum to his mouth and had a huge sip and said, the boat's broken. We can't move. And it was just... <laughs> It was beyond terrifying. We just sat there bobbing like a bunch of idiots in a boat. And the waves were, to me, they were like huge. They probably weren't insane, but in my mind, we were sliding up one side and disappearing down the other. And we just had nowhere to go. We were just drifting out to sea off the coast of Panama. And I thought after beating cancer and giving my life a red hot crack, I'm gonna die in a boat, my greatest fear. It was horrendous.
0: <laughs> Dude, so I I share a very similar fear. Um, I'm not huge on the ocean. I don't really like deep water. I avoid it pretty much all the time. Um, so I'm going to ask you: At any point, did you think you were going to get eaten by sharks? I thought that. Oh,
2: mate, I I thought so many things. Someone started throwing up over the side, and because he was throwing up, I <laughs> started feeling sick, and that sort of panic sets in. And there was hardly any rum to go around because the captain had drunk most of it, trying to be brave. So there wasn't much rum to keep us going. I really—it it wasn't as dark as my hospital days, but a few moments I was like, "This, this could get really scary really quickly."
0: And so, how did this end up playing out? What did you guys do?
2: So eventually, we we sung songs. We sung songs to be happy for maybe like twenty minutes or so, um, and it turned out a piece of the engine I think had broken off when when the wave hit the boat, so that's why you couldn't start it. And eventually, another boat in the distance—you uh, could see. And he put, he put the oar up with a white shirt on it. Like we were surrendering to the universe and started waving it around. Yeah, the other boat came along and, and one of their guys jumped on ours and, and lent us apart. And we ended up making it to the island, um all in one piece, thankfully.
1: Wow. That's awesome. Your photos on your blog.
0: No, it's a, it's a glob. It's a glob. Yeah. That's right. Yep.
1: That's right. It's a glob. A glob, I love yes. too. Yeah. So on your glob, your first photo, is that you in the bottom right-hand corner? That's all mopey. Having the
2: worst time <laughs> of my life, mate. That's the one.
1: <laughs> I love that picture. Everyone, everyone seems to be smiling, trying to make the best of it. And you're just like, I'm going to die.
2: I'm going to die. Here. It was terrible. I mean, it was a great time. But yeah, that photo definitely captured how I felt. Who took that? <laughs> uh, we actually, luckily enough. So there was five of us on that trip who were traveling together. And there was four just um, people we didn't know who ended up becoming good friends. One of the bloke who took it, he was like a professional photographer from photographer excuse me from jan so he took like amazing photos throughout the little four-day trip for us so i'm very thankful for that
0: yeah, that's pretty awesome yeah. yeah and is it is manuel in the back with the holding up the peace sign right in the middle
2: yeah he's the uh yeah he's the he's the captain he's kind of like the heavyset guy with the longer hair who has no worries in the world even when he should have worries in the world
0: <laughs> yeah yeah well it looks like a few people yeah. are, are the guys next to you are they they're they're your buddies
2: yeah, so the the guy bloke in the middle, Matt, best mm-hmm. mate, and the bloke next to him, Nick, my other best mate. So we we travelled, did six months on the road together, and a couple of the behind us are, are really good mates.
0: Oh, nice, nice.
1: And when you when you finally reach the dock, there's a great photo, and I I'm fairly confident in saying that you look to be the happiest person on the boat <laughs> at that point.
2: Yeah, I know the one you're talking about, celebrating with my arm in the air. I beat Poseidon, made it back to land. (laughs)
1: That's such a great story. So how long were you actually stranded in the middle of the water on that little boat with no way to get help or go anywhere?
2: Uh, I want to say it was like half an hour, I think, looking back. Someone, anyone else was on that boat, they're welcome to correct me. But I want to say it was half an hour and quite not annoyingly because we got used to it. I don't think he's in that photo you were talking about, but there was like a first mate or he was like second in charge to the captain. When we were travelling to our final destination, the boat honked out again maybe 400 metres from shore and Manuel, the captain, was like, what's happened? And apparently, although I never confirmed this, the first mate traded some of the the fuel away for booze on the previous island because he was a bit of a, he loved to drink, but we didn't quite have enough (laughs) fuel to get there because he traded it for beers.
0: Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I need to make sure if I ever go there, I'm making sure I contact you first so I know not to use this guy. <laughs> Man, get some good stories. Out <laughs> or bring beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you might be able to pay him an alcohol. Yeah, take it. Yeah, so some of the things that I like about your travels is that you picked pretty unique places. You don't have a lot of pictures, you know, holding up the, uh, the Leaning Tower of Pisa or sitting in front of the Eiffel Tower. So most of them um, are places that that I appreciate because I try to do more unique trips as well. I haven't done as, they're not as unique as yours, but yeah, it's something that I really appreciate. It looks like you've been to Moscow.
2: Yeah, I went to Russia in uh, 2017. There was a football tournament on there. So my brother and I went, and it was probably one of the worst trips of my life.
0: Yeah, and why so?
2: So the, I was so excited. I'd saved up, it probably cost about six grand to get over there and see everything. Uh, it's usually pretty tough to get into Moscow or to get into Russia with visas, so I'm told. But because there was a football tournament, if you had a ticket to a game, that was your visa. So it became much easier. And on the flight over, uh, I went for, and I'll never do this again, like a multi-leg, like two or three stops in China to try and save money. So I got off in the first stop in China, and I was dripping with sweat. I was just not feeling well at all. And I went through a body scanner, and it was like 40 degrees. I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit, but it was was pretty hot, um, well above what the body should be. And they said, no, you know, you're sick. You can't leave China. You've got to go to quarantine. And I was like, oh, it's tripped off to a terrible start. So they took me to a little quarantine room and, and they said, oh, you've got Z- the Zika virus. And I said, I definitely don't have the Zika virus, mate. But they were very adamant. <laughs> <laughs> they were very adamant. I, I had Zika. And they said, we're going to take blood from you. And I was like, you are not taking blood from me, mate. Like, that's one thing that's not happening. What? So eventually we, and I probably had like three hours to my flight and I'd been in quarantine for like an hour, an hour and a half or something. And they they eventually said, we'll take um, a saliva test. But if you have to sign this form and this form says, if you are, if we contact you with this result and you have a disease and you don't go to hospital in Russia, you will go to prison in China. And I was like, I'm never coming back to China. Let me go. Um, So they let me out eventually. And it turned out I had pneumonia. I didn't know, but I had quite bad pneumonia, which knocked me on my butt for Russia. And also in Russia, I got chickenpox. So that doubled up.
1: <laughs> you know, wait. Yeah, I would I would
2: chalk that up to being one of the worst trips ever too. It was chaos. I couldn't get out of bed and I'd already had pox as a kid. Apparently all the chemo destroyed my immunity so I got it a second time.
1: Oh, wow. I didn't even know yeah. that was possible. Me either. I'm a medical marvel, mate. <laughs> you really are? <laughs> I. Yeah. So it's somewhat related but not really. This is going to be a small side tangent. I just learned that When you get your tonsils removed, they can actually grow back if they're not fully removed.
0: Wait, how did you get on this topic? Where did you pull that from? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's a medical marvel. (laughs) So (laughs) we're like lizards. Are are you asking about his tonsils? (laughs) Just general general medical information. His immunity
1: was, so he was actually able to get the chickenpox twice, which is uncommon. And growing your tonsils is uncommon if you had them removed unless the procedure did not remove them
0: fully. This is, we should just start a medical podcast, I think, at this point.
1: <laughs> we probably yeah. should. There's a lot, there's a lot I pick up throughout the day.
0: <laughs> well, for those of you listening, not only are you learning about travel, but you just learned about tonsils as well. So,
2: did you go to the football game? I did. I went to every football game. I remember going... They'd only just finished building the stadiums, so it was very exciting. And the first game, I was so dehydrated. I was so sick. I pulled myself out of bed. I went with my brother, and I got to the stadium. I was like, oh, can I have a water? And they were like, no, nah, we don't have any running water in the stadium. It's only beer. And I was like, I don't want a beer. I'm really sick. Can I please have some water. So I, went, I still went to every game, but I was, I was holed up in bed most of the time. I got out and about. I saw Moscow and St. Petersburg and ducked over to Sochi. Be- beautiful country, amazing people, but... The majority of the time I was, I was in bed and spoke myself. It was probably six grand down the drain.
1: Yeah, but you got some great stories.
2: That's true. I did get some great stories. That's what it's all about.
0: But great people and, and beautiful country. That's just, I'm just generally curious. I've, I've had an interest in Moscow specifically. What is that building that you took a picture in front of? Is that like there, is that a political building? One with all the the colors and the
2: I think it's St Basil's Cathedral. If I'm thinking of the right one in in Red Square in Moscow, with all like the colored yeah. domes, like yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, it. yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, as a country, yeah. most, like Russia in general gets a bit of a bad rap. Um, sort of falls on the wrong side of some sort of ideological debate. The people couldn't be nicer. Like extremely friendly. Everyone seems to be very happy. Putin came up at the football on the big screen and everyone lost their minds. So. Yeah, Russia's, Russia's come up a lot over here. I don't know what that means, but... <laughs> was he actually at the game? He was at the game, yeah. He was in like oh. a corporate box. I'm sure he was surrounded by people, but technically I was in the same stadium without running water as Vladimir Putin, so that's pretty cool.
1: After Russia, did you, was that the same time you went to Latvia, or is that a different trip?
2: Yeah, it was. No, that was the same one. I had like three or four days off in between the... Australia's last group game. We went over there to see Australia. They're not very good at football, so they got knocked out immediately. But I was still going to go see the final. I had like three or four days free, and my brother and I were like, "Let's go to let's go to Latvia. Like, we have come all this way from Australia. Let's have a good time." And I was so crook, and I got to the airport, and he texted me. He was like, "I'm I don't feel like coming to Latvia. I'll I'll just see you later." So I went to Latvia. Like, and had like two seats in the plane. Just, just went to Latvia on my own. Like, had chicken pox, Had pneumonia. Didn't speak whatever language they speak in Latvia. It was uh, yet another train wreck, but it was a good time. I As I went to some cool pubs
0: and met some cool people. All right, so let's. <laughs> I want to hear. A, I want to hear a travel story that has a, a happier ending for you. <laughs> um.
2: oh geez, what's a one with a happier ending? Might tend to all be skewed to sort of horrible ends, aren't they?
1: <laughs> wait, 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 wait.
2: So I. <laughs> so have,
0: far, we've only heard I, three. I well, I, I have. We have some notes on some of your your stories. And so, um, let's talk about Colombia. Colombia. <laughs> so Colombia is somewhere that well, so so let me just preface what you're about to say. So Colombia is somewhere that Ellie and I are um we recently recently learned. started contemplating uh going. Maybe at some point in the future we went to Peru recently, fell in love with the country, South America, the people, the food, everything was awesome. And so now we're kind of curious, like, you know, what else is in South America that that would be exciting for us? Colombia is up there. Brazil is a possibility. Argentina is beautiful with all the mountains. We're, we're both pretty really into hiking and things like that, the outdoors. So Colombia is now on our list. It was brought to our attention by a friend who we actually had on the podcast before. His name is Matt. He is a, a trek tour operator for Peru and is now expanding his operations into Colombia. And is preaching that it is a, like an up and coming tourist destination. It doesn't quite have the tourism industry of other countries, but um, it's getting on the radar and sort of now's the time to go because uh, you won't be overwhelmed with tourists. And so um, you from the notes I have had, had a very interesting um, experience. Let's ease into this one and let's start with maybe why you went to Colombia and, and, uh, and how it all started.
2: Colombia, you, you're spot on about Colombia sort of being up and coming. I, I hadn't given much thought to it. When you think of South America, you think of Peru. I'm so jealous you guys got there. I'd love to get there eventually. Peru to me comes to mind as like that's South America. And Central America, you've got you know, your Panama and your Costa Rica, and Brazil is its own animal. And Colombia kind of misses out. I was there for like three weeks to a month, and it is fantastic. I couldn't recommend it highly enough. That the people are amazing. That you know the, the beer is cheap. The weather is warm. It's got everything you want. So this was actually after the Sandblast Islands coming from Panama. That journey landed us in um, Colombia. That's what like sort of you can get there. Um, so it was just continuing that that trip, and we had three weeks into Colombia to sort of do wholesome things. I was on Tinder at the time in Colombia. Yeah, that's, that's how you meet new people. That's what Tinder's for. But I was sort of um, meeting new people in Colombia, and I wasn't used to, I guess, how dangerous Colombia could be. And that seems like a silly thing to say because you should always be aware this danger where you travel but living in Sydney it's pretty like being six foot two a white guy no no one's really gonna bother me I just walk down the street and I'm left alone but in Colombia I was on a date with a, a wonderful Colombian girl whose name I don't remember but I'm sure it was very nice and I was <laughs> only because it's been a few years that's all but I was I went on a date and she lived way across the other side of town apparently she lived on like this is in Bogota she lived in the nice side of town and we were kind of staying in the the Latin Quarter, it's a bit sort of edgier and cheaper for the hostels, for the traveling guys we were. And it got to like 10 or 11. I was like, oh, it's pretty far for you to get home. Like, I want to make sure she gets home right. She's like, I would rather, I think I'd rather stay. Like, you're in Colombia, we're we're young, young youngish. We, why not stay and, you know, have an adventure? And I was like, you know what, fair enough. That seems, you know, it's your country. I wouldn't want to be rude. I went back to my hostel. I went back to my hostel and just as you'd expect, the bloke was like, no visitors. And I was like, fair enough, firm but fair. All right. So she was, she was like, oh, there's a hostel like twenty minutes away. They'll definitely have a room. And I said, uh, all right, fair enough. Like I'm, I'm already a few beers deep. Like I'm, I'm on, having a good time. My travels. Let's walk. She's like, all right. Maybe five minutes into the trip, a, a, a man came up to us who was the definition of sketchy homeless man. Extremely lovely bloke, but he was extremely confronting. He was talking Spanish really quick. I didn't speak any Spanish. She said he's telling us that it's dangerous out here. And that if we're not careful, we could get hurt. And I said, oh, that's very polite of him. She said, no, no, he's saying that as coded language, as in like he he's the type of people that hurt people. And I said, you know what? I've got this. And I, in a classic poor traveler move, opened up my wallet to show him I had money. And I said, tell him I will pay him to protect us from other people until we get to our hostel. And you've never seen a woman look more mortified that I was just showing this man how much money I had. And he's... She was mortified and was very poorly thought out on my behalf but to his credit he was the nicest bloke he I paid him to sort of be our little bodyguard against all the the, the dangers of Bogota at night of which there are many <laughs> he was the, how much did he
0: how much oh go ahead, go no, ahead.
2: I, mate, he did. I didn't even pay him much I paid him five ten Australian dollars or something which I think to him seemed like quite a bit and he was so nice he was telling me how he, he had like sort of drug issues in his youth and he ended up on the street and his mother had passed away and he didn't he wasn't close to his father. He really opened up. I mean, we were speaking through a translator, through an extremely uncomfortable woman, but he really opened up to me. And to yeah, to his credit, he was a great bloke. I gave him the, the cash. I gave him a little bit extra. I thanked him, and you no, know, I think we all, I think we were all winners that night. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's an
0: awesome story. <laughs> yeah. So now, do you feel more of pre- uh, like a pressure to learn the language for? For other countries in the future, I wish I,
2: I wish I had.
0: Yeah, that's the that's the same thing I got when we were in Peru. Elliot was the only one that spoke Spanish, and I never wanted to be able to speak a different language more in my life because it, it's it was frustrating to not be able to communicate to stand there and like you know just try to buy a, buy a bottle of water or something, mm. and you couldn't communicate with them. So I mean. I couldn't imagine trying to communicate with a homeless man saying, please protect me. Here's five dollars. <laughs> that would have been that would have been incredibly hard to to communicate to somebody without a translator.
2: Yeah, it would have been real challenging. It's I, I wish I'd learned more Spanish. I'm exactly like you. Are, you. are you fluent,
1: Elliot? Or what's your Spanish like? Moderately, moderately fluent. I have about 10 years from schooling, but it's not. I can understand, and I can speak a little bit.
0: Elliot is one of those freaks of nature that retained what he learned in high school somehow. <laughs> um, I, I don't know how you did it, but I mean, you knew whatever, whatever, however you want to scale it, you knew more than enough to get us by throughout our entire trip. You were talking to taxi drivers, to waiters at the hotel, to people at the bar. Like you, you had no problem communicating at all, and it, it helped us out significantly on our trip it would have been a very different experience without you. Um, and that's the only reason I invited you.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. (laughs) I guess wherever you go next, I will also learn that language (laughs) so I can be invited. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, yes, you're going to be my Rosetta stone. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, um, should we continue on with your South America trip? So I remember when we were talking about your, your lost at sea, it was a six month trip, right? With, with your, with your buddies blokes. And, um, where where else did you go? So we
2: started in Vancouver. We flew into Vancouver. We had a, a good friend over there, and we drove across Canada, left to right, and ended up in uh, Halifax, went to Nova Scotia. Oh, wow. Uh, did you go to Peggy's Cove? We did go to Peggy's Cove. Went to the lighthouse, lay on the rocks. It was extremely,
1: extremely <laughs> underwhelming. I love I loved Peggy's Cove only because it was one of the first... <laughs> first external or international trips i ever took as a kid i was there when i was like six or seven (laughs) and peggy's cove was like the best thing i'd ever done in my life up until that point but yes i have there's a fond place in my heart for peggy's cove yeah it's a good spot we had some had some good lobster there i like peggy's cove but it is, I mean, if I went back as an adult, I'd probably be like, all right, That's, let's go. You know what?
0: We should have maybe a conversation or just a podcast on, like, what are the most underwhelming travel experiences people have ever had? And just do like a whole episode on on that. That would be pretty funny.
1: That would be interesting.
0: You know, every every time we talk to somebody, it's about, you know, what was your greatest experiences? What did you like the most? That would be great. What about the bad ones? I mean, Alex has already segued into that for us. So yeah. <laughs> We've already heard three Yeah. ones. Yeah. Um, all right. So yeah, so go on.
1: All right. So you're in Peggy's Cove in Halifax. You've, drove, you've driven across all of Canada, which is fairly short from my understanding.
2: Well, we skipped Saskatchewan because we were told there was nothing in the middle. So we ducked into America and did sort of Montana and then went right, went through to the middle states, which was a pretty cool experience, and then came back up through um, Chicago and through Toronto and back into Canada.
0: And so from Nova Scotia, did you drive down into the United States or did you fly?
2: No, that was that was our buddy's yeah that was our buddy's car drove us there so we said goodbye to that um, that Carrier, we and we flew to Boston which was amazing had like my first Halloween like American Halloween which we do not have here like Halloween's a, a bit wow. of a joke you guys take it very seriously which was cool
0: wow oh, yeah I actually. I went to Boston for a buddy's bachelor party. Uh, I was the gr- I was the best man, and it was his bachelor party in Boston, and it was right at Halloween. Sick. So I've also experienced Halloween in Boston, and it was awesome. It was so much fun. So I know exactly what you're talking about. What year did you go? That would have been uh, 2015. Man, 2015. I, I don't remember when he got married, but we might have been there the same year. No. No? No,
1: that's October October 2015 is when we met. Oh, so
0: yeah. So he was married maybe – he was married a few years at that point. A year yeah. before? Maybe, yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. Damn. But yeah, so I when one, I didn't – Yeah, it was great. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. I did not know that Australia doesn't celebrate Halloween like we do.
2: No, I mean, we, we, yeah, we have it. And like bars will put on promotions and stuff, but you're not going to get anyone trick-or-treating. Maybe a couple of little kids who are sort of brought up on American culture, but no one's really dressing up no trick-or-treating. It's just – yeah, it's just an excuse for the to have discounts. Interesting. On the Halloween, because I didn't know how serious it was, we were like, oh, we'll just we'll wear something in Boston. But people go all out with costumes. Like the costumes were insane. And we had all had, because we've been in Canada, we had um like plaid shirts. with, And we ended up going as like lumberjack superheroes. It was so dumb. We wore plaid and like red and blue shirts. It was just the worst outfit you've ever seen. I'm ashamed right now.
0: Yeah, there's it, in the U.S. If you go to a bar, like if you go to a costume party and you're the guy that doesn't dress up, yeah, you're kind of you're kind of the weird one. You're the you you come across as not being fun almost. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Alex, have you been to uh, Germany around Carnival, like in February?
0: Did you just jump? No, I would.
1: No, I'm just asking because it's it's related to the Halloween thing because I don't know if Germans necessarily celebrate Halloween, but. They do celebrate carnival very hard. And Really? Yeah. And they dress up. And it's like a four day thing. And you have to have a different costume for pretty much every day. That sounds amazing. No, I, I'd love to. And so, Bob, when we were when I was there, it's like takes place over a four day weekend and I think I only had two different costumes, both of which were lent to me by my host parents, but it was an amazing experience. Like, Germans go, and they go, and they go. They're like the Energizer bunny when it comes to drinking.
0: Well, I mean, they have Oktoberfest. That's the biggest drinking festival in the entire world. Yeah. yeah so I believe it. Yeah. And this, mm-hmm.
1: this was a huge drinking festival, and I, I can't even imagine what Oktoberfest would be like.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe we should scratch Colombia, and uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, just... Just throwing it out still there. Both. Alex will meet you there. Yeah, we still got a long lot. lives. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. So we got way sidetracked. So
1: you're in Boston, you're there for Halloween. What what happened after that? Um, so
2: from Boston, jumped down to New York, which is where I met my uh, now girlfriend. We went on a Tinder date, just a, a one off, and we've it's been over many through, over three years since, which is very exciting. Um, and from
0: Oh wow, congratulations. Thank you, thank you very much.
2: And from New York to Philly, which I loved, love, 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 Philadelphia. Um, yeah,
0: you said you're a big Sixers fan now, right?
2: Big Sixers fan because of Ben Simmons. I'm yeah. a big Ben Simmons fan. But I also went and saw the uh, Eagles play a game back in the day before they were champs. Uh, that was kind of cool. Um, and then Yeah, from Philly, it's a fun city. I really I had a great time there. I love love Philly. I had a Philly cheesesteak, which of course you have to do when you go there. Where,
0: where did you go? Geno's, I think it was called. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's Geno's. Geno's is one of the most popular cheesesteak places in the city, if not the most popular. Yeah.
2: Does that make it, does that make it not as good? Like should you go for a sort of smaller boutique one?
0: That's, that's the debate. That is the internal debate. Me personally, I like Geno's. Uh, there are a lot of locals that will say, no, don't go to Geno's. It's overrun with tourists, you know, the whole thing. And they're not necessarily wrong either, but I I still like them. Um, when I want a Philly cheesesteak, I want the greasy, fest, foodie. Cheese whizzy. Just gross cheesesteak. Yeah, yeah. That's what that's what it is. That's what you go and get. Um, and that's kind of has that reputation as being overdone, maybe. Just, you know, gross in a way. But I enjoy it. I approve. Um, all right. So, so Philly and then where? From Philly to uh,
2: D.C. That was when I flew back home to surprise my brother for his wedding. Um, had a little bit of time back in Australia. And then met, excuse me, met my mates in Costa Rica, Panama, Colombia, Chile, Easter Island and back back home down under.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a small little trip. Just a getaway. So when you were in Chile, <laughs> was this the same Easter Island trip? You, I assume you've only been to Chile once? Yes, just the one time. Okay. And before you, was this before you met your girlfriend or was this before you started dating seriously that you went on a Tinder date?
2: Yeah, so I met her on the Tinder date. We had two dates in New York before. I was in New York for two weeks, and we had a couple of dates during those two weeks. And then I kind of kept off, going around the world. Uh, well, I was still in touch with her, but it was like the early courting days. So I was still, uh, yeah, I was still out and about.
1: Okay, so while you were still out and about in Chile, what happened?
2: Um, so Chile, Chile, what a what a country, what a time to be alive. I was in Chile, <laughs> and I, 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 again, I don't speak Spanish, as we've made very clear. I actually. I had to go to the same pizza place like four nights in a row, which really just speaks to how idiotic I am, and just point at the pizza and be like that one. And I had the same pepperoni pizza four nights in a row. Instead of just figuring out the names for other things. I was I don't know what I was doing. But so I jumped on Tinder and unsurprisingly, everyone's bios are in Spanish. That's very difficult for me to understand. So I matched with this woman, beautiful woman, had a long bio full of Spanish. I'm sure it said wonderful things about her and her life. She had a bunch of emojis. She had like a soccer ball. And I'm a big fan soccer fan she had a dog I love my dog well, he's passed away now I have his name tattooed on my leg um and then she had a, a little man and a heart and a woman and I was like that's beautiful like she loves her family I love my family like this this could be the one so I matched up the date and she spoke okay English which was very helpful we would have had no chance she was like oh wow like, this is so exciting like let's let's meet up and go on a go on a date and I was like this is look at this look at me I'm a big man on campus and then when I met her she was like Really tall, taller than me without heels, and I was like, "Wow, they really like grow the women over in this part of the world." We were chatting and walking through. We were walking through uh, Santiago, which is a beautiful city, so much amazing history there. And she was telling me, "Oh, I'm so impressed at like what you're doing in life. I'm so impressed how open you are to new experiences." And I was like, oh, well, who wouldn't want to go on a date with you know a beautiful woman?" And um we sat in this park. It was like a sort of lovers' park or something. There was like couples everywhere. And I asked her a question about her childhood. Um, and she said when she was playing soccer with the boys when she was young and I was like, oh, that's you have, like, mixed, mixed football in this country. And she was like, no, no, when I was a boy. And I was like, oh, now all these dots are connecting. <laughs> that's why she was so tall. That's why she thought I was open-minded. The emojis weren't because she loved her family. It was because she was transitioning from one to the other. So... That was my my accidental date in uh, Santiago.
0: So how did you gracefully bow out of the situation?
2: She was extremely... Or did you? She she was uh, extremely, extremely understanding. Um, I explained the sort of mix up. We still hung out for like another two hours just sitting in the park. She was an amazing woman. We just sort of chatted about life, the universe and everything. Um, And then eventually the sun was setting and she had to wander off and I wandered off. And It was really sort of two ships in the night. But for the, the brief time that our our lives sort of intersected it was it was just nice to meet someone who's so different from you she was extremely understanding about it
0: or she didn't matter anything that's pretty cool it's a pretty cool experience
2: yeah it was good it was good fun i
0: you know yeah how how unique do you think that experience is to overall i mean that that's it it requires a lot
2: of of ducks to be in a row you have to not speak the language you have to borderline be an idiot and you have to have really like poor self-awareness if you line up those three things i'm sure you can For in that situation but for most people i'm sure they would have connected
0: well and you you had to have been (laughs) alive when tinder was around tinder seems to have been a go-to tool for you it seems to have worked pretty well too yeah
2: i mean well i wasn't traveling on my own i was with my mates obviously but what better way is it to meet people not necessarily like to pursue a romantic connection but what better way to see the city
1: than with someone who knows the city who is the city you know definitely yeah i agree with that so i do want to get into a little bit of your Glob and how you see travel in the world. And when we first started talking, before we actually started to get into the podcast, you mentioned that your theme is confessions and redemptions. And as you said, it as you struggle to find a place in the world after your leukemia, and it involves dates, it involves dramas, and uh, stuff that you don't necessarily tell your mom.
2: Yeah, that's what it's all about. I realized the treatment for anyone who's gone through cancer or is going through and god forbid anyone who had, does have to go through it the treatment is objectively difficult there's, there's no two ways about that but once it's over and people the doctors leave you alone and people start looking at you as all right he's he's normal again now time to move on with life the aftermath is to me far more difficult than that sort of intermediary period where you're dealing with it so i came out not knowing where i should point my moral compass like if i if i relapse in a year what incentive is there for me adhere to the rules of like this world which sounds quite dark but that's kind of the place I was in like why why should I be a good person when something bad happened to me which is not a, a mature response to to the cancer but it's kind of where my 20 year old brain with it brain went with it and uh that's what my inked and abroad's been about I'm either confessing a story where I went you know what I'm probably doing this because if I died again tomorrow I think it'd be a good story or I'm having redemption moments where I'm saying you know what I'm fighting back against the sort of how difficult it is mentally, and I'm doing something that is really making me feel good in my heart.
0: It's, I like it a lot. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm, I've enjoyed your blog, your website, your Instagram. It's all been really, really awesome to follow, and, and I'm really happy that we got to know you. Thank you.
1: So we've, I don't know, what would you say we've heard more of tonight? More confessions or redemptions?
2: You've definitely heard more confessions because they make better stories. The redemptions are... Getting lost at sea was a redemption because I sort of pushed past that fear of boats. I still don't like them, but I can I can always look back and say, you went through your worst boat experience. You'll be fine going forward. So that sort of thing's a redemption. The rest of them were probably <laughs> confessions, but uh, there's many more redemptions and confessions in the future that we can chat about, I'm sure.
0: Unless you're on a boat and it <laughs> sinks. Yeah, that's true. That it, it, be worse.
2: Yeah, yeah, it could get worse. Huh? Thanks for I'm that. Going that's, on a boat. that's great. I'll just let, pop, pop that in my <laughs> mind. <laughs>
0: I, do you go in the ocean around Australia? I'm not a big beach guy, no. Yeah, I mean, I am petrified of sharks. It is my biggest fear in life, and Australia to me seems like one of the biggest hotspots for them. Um, I was just curious. I, I don't even go in them. Um, I don't go in the ocean in New Jersey, and we don't have nearly as many sharks as you guys. But uh, there are probably there are a lot of ways that I could die. Getting eaten by a shark is not going to be one of them.
2: But the, surely the beaches in New Jersey aren't. As nice as Australia, right? No, no. <laughs> that probably stops you as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Have you heard of Atlantic City? I so have, yeah. You have the beach. And yeah, so our, our beaches are a mix of sand, nice brown sand, but then in them are just sprinkles of uh, like um, needles. Um, <laughs> needles? <laughs> no, no, it's not that bad, but uh, they're not as nice as Australia to answer your question. Right, no.
1: <laughs> So I'm going to give another fun fact. You're more likely to die from a vending machine falling on you than a shark attack. Um maybe maybe not you individually. Yeah, but the average well, person. Well, I
0: don't really buy snacks from vending machines or go in the ocean, so you have to find a better better one.
1: Alex, when we were in when we were in Peru, our last day in Lima, we walked down to the beach and the other guy we were with, Brian and I, we walked into the water a little bit. And Bob would not even dip his toe in no, the water. No, that's not
0: because I was afraid of getting eaten by a shark. I just, no, it's it wasn't. It. No, no, it's because we were walking around the city. Because then, as soon as you dip your toe in the water, then the sand sticks to your toe. And then you have sandy toe all day long. I just, <laughs> I, didn't, I just didn't feel like dealing with that. We had to walk around the city all day. I was just thinking practically. It's fat. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, do you have any plans, uh, travel plans for the future?
2: Um, I just got back from Europe a couple of months ago, so that's kind of used up my uh, my funds for a little while. The, you even mentioned it before, Egypt is big on my list. I love to, go to Egypt. The history there is something that yeah. really jumps out of me.
0: Well, maybe when we end up going, we can meet you out there. I think a, a trip that Elliot and I were eyeing up would be something along the lines of Egypt and then Petra, Jordan. Of course. And then maybe Sprinkle in Israel if we have the time to do it. That would be amazing. Oh,
1: so has, has your history degree or your history studies influenced some of where you traveled? It,
2: uh, yeah, I think it has helped. It's helped me appreciate and sort of understand it on a slightly deeper level. Sometimes people sort of ask me a question or, or try and get some insight into what's happened, uh, which is nice. And that's why Greece is also big on my list. I'd love to sort of see the home of democracy and really explore classical Greek history. So definitely, yeah, no, the more I think about it, definitely the history degree is where I've gone.
0: What is the next country on your bucket list?
2: um i'm hoping to go to bali i've been there twice already but i'm hoping to go to bali to celebrate being 10 years cancer free a bit of a cancerversary if you will um so hopefully that one is next on the list but as far as proper international ones oh tough one probably i like peru i really want to prioritize peru i've got to see Machu
0: Picchu. i uh, i think you should it was absolutely incredible and uh and you know what we have a full itinerary that we can just send you in an email and you don't have to do any planning
2: Follow over. What was it like with there a problem with altitude going up to
0: Machu Picchu? Uh there was a, there was a problem with altitude. So so when you go to the Sacred Valley on your way to Machu Picchu, you land in Cusco and Cusco sits at eleven thousand feet, which is how many meters, Elliot? Like thirty five hundred. Thank you. Um see that's why I keep him around. So um we did have we did. I did have some issues with like headaches and just a little bit dizzy in Cusco. But Machu Picchu sits at seven thousand feet, so it's a little bit lower. Um, I felt it a little bit. It you get out of breath very quickly just walking or walking upstairs. It wasn't overwhelming for us, but some people do have pretty bad um, stories of suffering from altitude sickness.
1: As long as you give yourself some time in Cusco, you should be fine. We <laughs> we hiked around all day, and I think that's what actually made us. Uh, do better hiking up Machu Picchu, right, Bob?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was still super <laughs> difficult, but uh, yeah, we did it, we did it, and I couldn't recommend worth it. Worth it, I'm sure. Uh, every minute of it was worth it, even getting to Machu Picchu, and you're at the gate and you kind of feel like you're getting ready to walk into like an amusement park ride. There's just tourists from the United States, and Canada, and Australia, and Europe, and it's it was kind of annoying. And then you walk through and you, you see Machu Picchu for the first time and that all just flushes away. And you realize where you're standing and what you're seeing and the history behind the architecture and the, the, the granite mountains around you. And to just stand there and take it all in was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Um, so I definitely highly, highly recommend it. Amazing. I'll definitely check that out.
1: So before before we hang up and most more certainly will definitely have you back on because you have way more information to share but can you share with our listeners how they can follow you either through your blog or through social media
2: certainly so it's uh inked and is the blog feel free to check it out there's there's many more of these confessions and redemption stories just please don't show my mum. and as for social media uh inked underscore and underscore abroad on, on Instagram. Um, and there's an anything abroad Facebook if you want to check that out too. So Inkton abroad
0: across the board. Yeah. And when we, when we release this podcast, we're going to be tagging you in all of the pictures that you provided to us. And, uh, yeah, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. And we're looking forward to a new friendship and, uh, like we've invited guests in the past. If you're in the United States on the East coast in Philadelphia, let us know and we will show you a good time.
2: Absolutely, guys. I really appreciate it. And quickly before I go, I just want to say if anyone is dealing with cancer or is going through sort of tough times with their health, just power through. I promise you on the other side, magic happens. Just keep powering through and the light cuts through the darkness. I, I promise you that.
1: Thank you so much. I think that's a good way to end it. Yeah, thank you. No worries, boys. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, this episode really hit close to home for me. Um, I'm excited to share this episode with my mom. I think I've told her about it already. And that's one of the benefits of being a family member. So you get to learn about all of these episodes before they come out.
0: Inside Access.
1: Exactly. But as some of you may or may not know, a few years ago, my mom was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And it's had its ups and downs. She went into remission about a year and a half ago, and was re-diagnosed with it. And then this past month or so, she's actually been doing a lot better. But through all of it all, it's made her want to travel a lot more with me and my sister and Amanda. So our first trip was actually to Rome last year, and that was a ton of fun. And we got to hang out, walked all over the city. And this year, we're going to Iceland this summer. And I think we'll actually have, I not I think, but I know we'll have an episode next week all about Iceland and I hope that we learn a ton about
0: it. I think we will. Um, Yeah, so there, as I've said like a few times on the podcast, Australia has never really drawn me to it. Um, But there are a few things now that that there are a few reasons why I want to go to Australia. And one is koalas. I think they're really cool. And now number two, I think, is Alex. Like I would love to just grab a beer with that guy and hang out. So koalas and Alex – are my two reasons and maybe one day I'll, I'll run run out to Australia and hang out. Well we got
1: like a bunch of friends out there now. Leah's there, Ryan's there, Alex is there.
0: That's true. We could we and a pretty...
1: the um what was the guy's name from Peru that we met in Lima? Oh Just biking across.
0: Was was it Jacob?
1: I think it was Jacob, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, I guess so we it guess we do have a few few Aussies. We can have a little Aussie party. Um yeah, I don't, I don't know what, what I don't know what an Aussie party. party is. Yeah, I think they, they drink a lot of beer, right? And uh, they they wrangle kangaroos. I'm pretty sure at least once or twice a day. And it's wrangling. Yeah, I heard okay. that you actually tie your alarm clock to a kangaroo, and you have to catch it to to hit the snooze button. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, interesting so yeah well we should probably wrap this up (laughs) yeah i don't yeah i don't know where this is going to go so let's just wrap it up thank you everybody for listening to the show rate us on itunes super helpful um follow us on social media um also pretty cool and uh that's really it thank you for listening and feel free to reach out with any questions or concerns or criticisms or ideas Uh, thank you